Welcome to Protect Your Money with FSCS, the podcast from the Financial Services Compensation Scheme. I'm Caroline Rainbird, FSCS Chief Executive, and in this series, the fantastic FSCS team will help you understand how we can help to protect your money so you can feel confident your money is safe. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the FSCS podcast. I'm your host, Jess Spires, and I'm Senior Content Manager at FSCS. So FSCS, which is the Financial Services Compensation Scheme, exists to protect customers of authorised financial services firms that have gone bust by paying eligible people compensation. Now, we protect lots of financial products, but not all of them. So we've designed this podcast series to help you understand our protection and why it's so important. In today's episode, we're talking all about financial comprehension and understanding, especially in relation to numbers, which is an area in which a lot of consumers struggle. So to talk through this topic today, we've got one of my colleagues with us, a regular on the podcast, Nigel Yates, and we also have Mike Ellicock, who is the co-founder and chief executive of a fantastic organisation called Plain Numbers. Welcome to both of you. Thanks, Jess. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Jess. Good to be back and excited for today's discussion. Me too. So before we kick off, just a really quick teaser of the question we're going to be asking Mike at the end of the episode. FSCS are all about keeping your money safe, but what was the toy that got you breaking open your piggy bank as a child? Okay, let's get started. So Mike, perhaps you could kick us off with an introduction to you and of Play Numbers as an organisation. Yeah, thanks, Jess. Yeah, so I'm I'm Mike. I'm um, chief exec and co-founder of Play Numbers. We're a relatively new organisation, and the backstory really probably starts with National Numeracy, which is an independent charity I set up back in 2012. There there weren't any charities out there that were focused on numbers in a way that something like the National Literacy Trust or the Book Trust or Reading Agency was focused on on words and supporting adults and children on that side. So yeah, set up a charity back in 2012 and ran that until June 2020. And plain numbers can be seen as kind of like a spin out from from national numeracy, but we're attacking the same problem, lots of people struggling with numbers, but from the other angle. So we help organizations to communicate numbers and data in a way that more people are going to understand. Thank you. And it's quite a big challenge you're working with there, isn't it? Yeah, it's chunky. Um, and the headline number, I guess, for listeners to take away is that half of adults are at primary school levels in terms of their number understanding. And that's and that's in terms of everyday math. So it's not algebra or trigonometry or geometry or calculus or anything like that. It's just using numbers in daily life. About half of adults are at the level we expect of a primary school child. So, yeah, it's a bit it's a big issue and, and something that is coming ever more to the fore when we think about consumer vulnerabilities and particularly with the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority's new regulations around consumer duty. Thanks Mike and and just to say from the FSCS side um, we are one of the organisations as you know working with plain numbers. Um, As an organisation we uh, always try and make everything as simple and clear as we possibly can. Um, We've worked with the Plain English campaign and our website has their crystal mark for clear content. Um, so it's great that we've now got an equivalent organisation for numeracy to work with. Yeah, and there's some real parallels there, actually. The, the, so national numeracy didn't exist. Um, so we set it up and uh, plain numbers. We're 
quite a few years after I won't do the maths but 1978 was when the plain English campaign was set up and they launched their crystal mark in 1991 so um, yeah we've got a lot of catching up to do on the numbers side it's great that FSCS and and other um, leading organizations are partnering with us but um, but yeah we're in the foothills in terms of uh, communicating numbers and data more clearly for customers absolutely and more broadly understanding basic finance has never been more important than at the present time from the economic fallout of the pandemic to the current cost of living crisis. For some, mounting costs will force difficult choices and a lack of access to impartial information or a lack of understanding can make things worse. On the other side, financial literacy and comprehension can increase social mobility and improve financial decision-making. When I reference social mobility, I'm talking in relation to the link between a person's occupation or income and the occupation or income of their parents. Unfortunately, not everyone starts from the same start line in life but with suitable opportunities, better life outcomes are possible. And if people are clear on what they're getting into when choosing a financial product, they're more likely to choose something suitable, which will reduce levels of consumer harm and ultimately mean less claims for FSCS to process. Yeah, absolutely, Nigel. Um, And Mike, I know you're obviously really passionate about this. Could you give us a little bit more context on why this is such an important area? Yeah, sure, Jess. So, the headline, as I said, was you know half of adults are at primary school levels, and and from from what we'd learnt um, at National Numeracy over the years about supporting those kind of people, we were pretty confident that were relatively simple things that organisations could do to communicate uh, numbers and data in a clearer way. And there are three kind of main areas which we focus on. The first is the numbers themselves. So there's some a lot of academic research and practical uh, experience to show that you can present numbers themselves in a better way. And then the second bit's about numbers in context. So that is this interplay between words and numbers, but also often the idea that you're trying to get across, particularly in financial services, is a mathematical or numerical idea. So we need to think about that. And we also need to think about avoiding all these TLAs, three-letter abbreviations that we have in each of these different sectors that customers are not very familiar with. And then the third element is about behavioral science. So how can we apply what we know about how humans uh, make decisions in the real world to help them to make decisions that are in their best medium to long-term interest? So that's the kind of what we do with the approach. And rather than just kind of take our word for it, we felt that it would be uh, important to do some trials to test this approach. And so we worked with five firms in the start of 2021. The Bank of England supported it and the five firms were Octopus Energy, ClearScore, Thames Water, Direct Line Insurance and Atlanta Insurance. And we used some form of communication that they had out to customers and then we play applied a plain numbers approach to it. So 500 people then saw their version and 500 people saw ours and they were asked five questions, comprehension questions to see whether they understood the information on there. And, and what we found was quite a remarkable improvement for the plain numbers version. And on average, it saw the number of people that were able to get four or five questions right, which we felt was a kind of a decent threshold of understanding, um, doubled for the plain numbers version. So, um, and the kind of questions, just to give you a steer on that, they weren't trick questions. The first question for the Thames water, water bill was how much water did you use? And the second question was how much did that cost? So it's those kind of questions. And, and we found really low levels of understanding 
for the original and that but then we saw that double uh, for the plain numbers version so so we knew that we were onto something we had something that was beneficial for organizations and for for their consumers and since then we've been working with a growing number of organizations including now fscs uh, to present numbers and data in a way that more people will understand fantastic yes yeah, a great background and, and having been through your training recently um you know, it's really got us thinking as an organization about how we can improve our communications um and it definitely ties in with that point uh, that you mentioned there in terms of the understanding piece, um, the sort of perceived versus actual understanding. Can you give us a bit more background, a bit more explanation about the differences between perceived and actual understanding? Yeah, sure, Nigel. That's a, that's a really big point. That's a big point for any you know, organizations that are listening on the call that do things like focus groups for customers, which is that's that's really important uh, data that you get back from that in terms of what customers think um, or, or feel about your communication. But th but that's really testing perception rather than actual understanding. And, and so we were very keen to do the latter. But before we asked those five questions, we asked a question uh, of those 500 people seeing the original and 500 people seeing our one. Is this thing you're looking at clear, fair and easy to understand? And we asked people to either strongly agree, agree, neutral or uh, or disagree. And what we found was that seven out of 10 people, pretty much on average, both for the original and for the plain numbers version said, yes, yes, I strongly agree or agree that this is clear, fair and easy to understand. For the original, then there was the, a very big gap between that perception, roughly seven out of 10 um, saying, yes, I understand it. And, and then the reality, which was more like two or three out of 10 uh, being able to get questions right. On the plain numbers version, it was seven out of 10 again saying, yes, I understand it. But then it was more like five or six out of 10 uh, who actually were able to understand it. So there's this big gap between perception and reality. Um, for people interested in behavioral science, that won't be unusual. You think about, and, and there's some interesting gender dynamics and, and stuff like this, particularly young men overestimating their um, performance in all kinds of different things. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a characteristic that we generally overestimate uh, how good we are at something. And, and we felt that it was good to get that, um, to evidence this, this quite big gap that there was for the original and then we found that that gap was closed for the plain numbers version. Well, that must be really encouraging to see like a concrete example of your work benefiting people. We were pretty confident that the, that it would work. And that's why we put, you know, put some money behind it and did a trial. But, but yeah, and it was an independent trial. It was carried out by Kantar Public. Um, but yeah, we, even, you know, we were surprised by the extent to which the kind of amalgamation of quite small changes actually made a really big difference. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so, Mike, what do you think consumers could do to avoid misunderstanding things? So th the number one thing is to is to kind of slow down a bit. Um, you know, however you feel uh, about numbers, we're all bombarded with information all the time, and and it's very difficult to kind of make head or tail of things. So, so yeah, the, 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 I'd slow down. I'd open things that do come through your door, and and you know, don't bury your head in the sand um, if you you know you feel like you're potentially in trouble. But also, if people want to improve, they want to kind of get more confident with numbers or improve their number skills. There is something from National Numeracy, the charity that I mentioned, uh, called the National Numeracy Challenge, and that's free for anyone to go on, uh, check where they're at now, both in terms of how they feel about numbers, but also kind of where they are in terms of 
areas that they struggle with or are better at and then then there's a load of free help for them uh, on there so do have a look at the national numeracy challenge if, if you want to improve and then the work that we're doing now with play numbers with fscs and other organizations is to is to help organizations kind of lower the level of uh, the threshold level of understanding i guess to be able to make informed choices with information that you're provided with but that would be my recommendation i think for customers themselves Absolutely. And uh, from an FSCS point of view, obviously, uh, for all of our customers, we'll definitely uh, try and support them uh, in every way we can. Um, and that's whether that's a, a claims handler calling them to, to discuss a claim or whether it's uh, them contacting the, the contact centre. Um, another great uh, kind of practical concept that we, we talked through on, on the course, on the training that I went through, um, was the idea of sort of fast maths versus slow maths. Um, uh, and let's just do a little test on, on Jess here. Um, there's a great example we, we covered off in the course, and I'll, I'll try it on her now and see where we get to. Um, so if a bat and a ball set costs £1.10, Jess, uh, and the bat costs £1 more than the ball, how much does the ball cost? Okay, so the bat and ball set is £1.10. The bat costs £1 more than the ball. Do you know what? I want to say 10p, but I feel like that's going to be wrong. But that's my answer, 10p. That's what I'd say. Mike, do you, want to, do you want to explain it a bit more? Absolutely, Nigel. Yeah, so I think you have to be very strange and, and not really human, I would argue, to not have 10p screaming out in your head as being the right answer. Thanks, Mike. That's reassuring. Yeah, yeah so, so 10p is the answer that screams out in everyone's head. But the reason why, you know, you might say it's a trick question is because if you then plug that back in, so the bat and the ball together cost £1 and 10p, and you've just said the, the ball cost 10p, then and the bat's one pound more than the ball, then the, the bat's got to cost one pound and 10p, and together they that adds up to one pound and 20p, so it doesn't really work. And so then you can either plug some other numbers in, or you can, if you're really keen, you could do algebra, but you as, as you roll through it, you can work out that it must be 5p, and then the bat costs one pound more than that, so one pound and 5p, and together they cost one pound and 10p. But the reason for asking that question and giving that example, and and for all of us, 10p screams out in your head as, as the answer. It just so happens to be wrong. Is that it's an example of what um, a Nobel laureate psychologist called Daniel Kahneman, one of the leading lights in behavioral economics, uh, he called thinking fast and thinking slow or system one thinking and system two thinking. And we all, we all think we make decisions with what he calls system two, which is a kind of our rational, deeper level of thought. And we sit down and we have a cup of coffee and we read through the letter very carefully and we maybe open a spreadsheet and we start to plug in the numbers. The reality is that nearly none of us do that for almost all of our decisions. And we, and we couldn't because our heads would just explode. So the system one is the kind of the the system you're using when you're deciding to cross the road or to to do almost anything in life it's probably 80 percent of our thought is is quite fast and it's very much dependent upon pattern um of you know what we've learned in situations before and the the bat and the ball question just kind of highlights an example where system one doesn't work for us very well no, normally nearly all the other in in most cases it does work very well and there's an example of the other thing that I'd be interested to get see whether you can come up with as quick an answer Jess on this is that so the example that Kahneman also gives he says and I'm not going to ask you for an answer because and, and I'll tell the listeners the answer so that they don't spend time trying to work it out either but Kahneman says you know if you're walking down a street with someone and you ask them what 17 times 24 is they'll probably stop walking 
So, so walking is a kind of system one activity. You don't really need to think about it too much. Um, but if, you, if you're asked something like 17 times 24, there isn't an immediate answer that's screaming out like 10p or whatever. And the, the actual answer is 408. But it takes quite a lot of working out to do that. Or you can just get your calculator out or um, call into your voice activated thing and, and get the answer. But that's an example of system two. And that's this much slower, deeper level of thought. And what we talk about quite a lot on the training is is that almost everything that's written by most by organizations assumes that people engage with that deep level of thought but in reality we don't we've got so many things going on we want to be able to and need to be able to absorb some information from a communication just quite quickly you know so we think about three seconds 30 seconds then 300 seconds, which is five minutes, and definitely drifting into the system two thing. And then even 3,000 seconds, you know, if you're looking at something like, you know, taking out a mortgage, you probably would spend, you know, 3,000 seconds, 50 minutes really reading through stuff because it's very important. Um, but yeah, so we think about this three seconds and 30 seconds and probably add that in for people compared to, you know, where they, where they normally think about communications being um, understood. It's really interesting that the, the fast and slow maths. Um, I did test that example on my family as well the day after I'd done the the training course, um, and uh, they all said ten p straight away. Um, my wife did, you know, claim that was because she'd just come off a night shift and was a bit tired, but uh, ultimately everyone had to think about it a bit longer. And you know, and my daughters kind of talked about it, and then they did work out what the actual answer was. So, but it does take a bit of thinking about and a bit of working through. So, it's a great example. It is, and I'm glad it wasn't just me, to be honest. But where the original research was conducted with it was in um, Ivy League universities in the States. So these are all the cleverest kids in the States. And something like 70 or 80% of them just gave the answer 10 cents and got on with their lives. You know, and these are the super intelligent you know kids in the state so it is completely normal especially when there's no state n nothing serious involved just to go yeah 10p and get, move on but yeah it, it it's actually 5p yeah good not just me glad to hear that um <laughs> yeah. so mike what do you think needs to change to support consumers then well, I think the things that are fascinating from our research is that there's just so much opportunity when you when you kind of take a step back and put yourself in in the customer's shoes and and have this knowledge that look half of adults are at primary school levels uh, in terms of their number understanding and apply you know our approach. There are a lot of easy wins, and and I think the thing that was fascinating for us from the research and, and now what we're doing in, in terms of working with the organizations is that those five firms that I mentioned at the start, you know, ClearScore, Octopus Energy, Thames Water, Direct Line Insurance, Atlanta Insurance, they're all really good at this stuff already. And they were sufficiently interested in getting better that they were prepared to pay and engage in a, in a, in a trial. There are a lot of organizations and some of them feature um, in our you know in our training um, and I'm particularly thinking actually about council tax bill which is something that we work through in the training you know if, where public sector communication with individuals and we think about the department for work and pensions and the communication of universal credit the communication of pensions information generally there there are lots and lots of opportunities uh, to improve uh, you know from a much lower base that, than than we saw in the trials so so we're really excited about this and and it's great to be working with FSCS and and the other um, kind of first cohort first wave of uh, organizations who are starting to implement this yeah that's really interesting and the 
the opportunity to improve point is uh, is really good. Um, we also talked on on the course about the kind of curse of knowledge uh, from from a company's point of view. Um, could you clarify that a bit, a bit more as well and explain to the listeners? Yes, sure. So that's curse of knowledge is a phrase from a guy called Stephen Pinker, who's a a thinker over in in the US. It's one of those things that until you kind of take a step back and think about it, you, you know, it's difficult to recognize. And he describes the curse of knowledge as how difficult it is for all of us, all humans, to remember what it's like to not know something that we now do know. And so we found in the trials where we worked with those five firms across four different markets that, that we were... Um, you know, reasonably numerate and, and, and re, you know, reasonably uh, well-educated, but found it very difficult in the early conversations because people were using TLAs, three-letter abbreviations that we didn't know. And they're talking about, you know, things that are just so obvious to them because they're just part of their daily working life, but weren't at all obvious to us coming from the outside and also aren't at all obvious to customers. And, and yet they're rolled out as though they're, they're very familiar terms. And so, so that's the, the, this curse of knowledge point. It comes into the second principle about the numbers in context is something that I think most um, participants on the course have, have found really interesting to be able to take a step back. And, and also we, we have our trainee practitioners from different organizations on the, on the train plain numbers training we find that's very useful because th then they don't have the curse of knowledge from those other industries they they are probably consumers or or could potentially be of of um, other firm services and so so that getting that broader perspective doesn't just come from us at plain numbers it comes from the other participants on the course yeah that's right and I know that we have so many um, acronyms FSCS internal jargon and we try to avoid it like the plague but I guess inevitably things slip through, but that's why we're working with organisations such as yourself to break things down and just not assume that knowledge. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult for you as well, because given given your name to kick off with, you know, and it is a four letter abbreviation. But but yeah, I think there's I think I mentioned earlier on that I, you know, I actually I saw an ad advert for FSCS. So I think, get, you know, getting that out there, getting awareness that there are products that you know you protect or um, come under your umbrella but there are also very importantly others that aren't you know is is a really uh, important part of your job and getting that really clearly out there without um you know without any of these other funny abbreviations that's exactly right mike and that's a big part of what we do and why we do this podcast really um and i guess you just don't know what you don't know at the end of the day yeah, absolutely. I'm just thinking about the uh, the acronyms, and uh, even in our team recently, we've had a, a new apprentice join into the communications team. And uh, amongst the team already existing, we talk about things, we use certain acronyms, and it's almost retraining yourself to you know simplify and and uh, explain everything uh, so that everyone in the team can understand um, who who aren't used to those phrases. So uh, it's a really interesting point. Um, Another great example of this was um, from some recent work I was doing uh, following an insurance company failure. And we were doing a range of uh, communications around um, sending out a large volume of return of premium checks. Um, and that means we're basically giving customers back the part of their insurance policy that they paid for and not been able to use when the firm had failed. And as part of that, we provided additional information to explain uh, about paying their checks in via their mobile banking apps. Um, which is much more convenient for many people 
And I had to make sure I didn't assume that everyone did this routinely, you know, having done it a few times myself. Um, and that kind of curse of knowledge was was really highlighted recently when I had dinner with a friend, um, you know, a fairly senior exec, CEO of a small business. Um, we were catching up on family matters and, you know, she was talking about her annoyance having to drive 30 minutes to cash a check at the bank for some birthday money that her daughter had been sent. Um, I then mentioned, you know, paying checks in via mobile banking app. And she had no idea that could be done. So it just goes to show that, as Jess said earlier, you, you really only know what you know. Exactly right, Nigel. So we started this episode by talking about the scale of the numeracy challenge in the UK. Um, and I really hope this discussion today has been useful and that everyone takes a little bit more time, the slow maths approach to their financial understanding. I definitely will be after this. So we have a number of explainers and handy protection checkers on our website. That's www.fscs.org.uk. So those are well worth having a look at as well. So Mike, one final question for you. So at FSCS, we're all about keeping your money safe, but what toy would have got you breaking open your piggy bank when you were a child? Oh, I think for me, I I was um, fortunate enough to live abroad when I was a kid in Australia and then in Malaysia and then back in Australia. So I think it was probably when I kind of started saving was about the same time I got into surfing. And I had a I had one of those little foam belly board things and I was desperate to get a proper fiberglass surfboard. And then I think I, I think I did have some of my savings that went into it, um, but it was also very much supported by my parents. But I can remember I can remember the look of that board. I wish I still had it, but I've got um, I've still got a board that I bought when I was 17. But um, yeah, it was definitely a surfboard. That might be the coolest answer we've ever had, Mike. So thank you for that. Well, you know, I do, I do try. <laughs> um, great. Thank you so much, Mike and Nigel. Um, and we hope everyone listening has enjoyed the podcast. So you can find all of our podcasts on our website. Just one more time. That's www.fscs.org.uk and the usual places you find your other podcasts. Please do follow us wherever you listen to your podcast so you never miss a new episode. Thank you for listening.